So no, there are Muslims everywhere, mashallah. There is mm. really, the, the southernmost mosque is somewhere in the south of New Zealand and the northernmost mosque somewhere in Alaska. So there are everywhere places of worship for the Muslims and there are everywhere Muslims worship. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Alaska sounds like it's got an Arabic root as well. It does? Does it? Abu, Abu Zakaria, tell me please. I don't know. No, no, that's, that's a good observation. <laughs> Attention. Yeah. Someone maybe yeah. misspelled Alaksa. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You know? Yeah. But I keep saying in the lecture, so I'll never forget any word mm. starting with Al comes from the Arabic term. You know what I was asked once? Albania too? <laughs> Asalaamu Alaikum legends. What do you think of when you hear the phrase giants of Islam? We've got a cool history-oriented podcast for you today. I never used to like history myself back at school, but the way these brothers talk about it made even me interested, alhamdulillah. Just before we start, a quick reminder to hit that bell notification button so all the episodes show up in your notifications. I was looking at the stats the other day and found a significant percentage of viewers haven't actually subscribed, so please do subscribe. It will help this juicy content get in front of more and more eyeballs, after all. Uh, let's try and get 500 subscribers from this video, eh? Hit the thumbs button. Uh, thumbs up button and comment below to let us know you've done that and finally please consider donating five pounds a month to help keep unscripted going uh, let's get 250 of you clicking this box here to set that up it's only 16p a day you can do it i believe in you so number one subscribe and hit the bell button number two like and comment number three donate number four stay awesome assalamu alaikum and welcome to tonight's unscripted podcast um as you know this uh, week will be uh, discussing giants of Islam on Islam 21C and we've got two giants, mashallah, uh, uh, to discuss this uh, excellent topic. Uh, Dr. Steph Keris is no stranger to the Islam 21C podcast. In fact, uh, he, he received the, I think, podcast of the year award last year, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, Dr. Steph. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair again. Wa alaikum Good to see you again. somewhere in a good spot. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Uh, and we have one of his colleagues now, uh, uh, brother Abu Zakaria, a historian, Islamic historian. And they're both involved in uh, Ilm Film Studios, which has been going on for uh, several years. And they've made a new, uh, relatively new institute called Islamic History Institute um, that includes courses, documentary, ser documentary series uh, like the Great Muslim Live series and other publications and uh, you know, more coming from them soon. Asalaamu Alaikum Abu Zakaria. Wa Alaikum Asalaam wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, Dr. Salman. Um, thank you very much for the invite. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Um, I've listened to it several times myself. Mashallah. It's really nice to be uh, to be a part of this. Zakmullah Khair. It's a pleasure to have you on, Zakmullah Khair, for uh, sharing some thoughts with us, inshallah. So, uh, Giants of Islam, um, we had a, uh, Islam 2019 editorial. Uh, meet, uh, board, we have these uh, planning meetings and we said, you know, we want to talk about Giants of Islam because uh, one of our uh, aims at Islam 21 is to instill confidence in Muslims in, the, in their skin as Muslims. And many people, you know, uh, agree something kind of um, uncontroversial to say that Muslims need role models, uh, Muslims need kind of figures to look up to uh, historically and today. And so this Giants of Islam series was kind of uh, thought about. And uh, you've done a lot of similar stuff 
in that regard in terms of the Great Muslim Live series and I was, I was flicking through it today it's very beneficial mashallah we had uh, examples of uh, Umar Mahtar, uh, Abdul Basit, uh, the famous Qari, Rahimahumullah, and many other kind of contemporary figures uh, from the kind of Qurra um, um, all the way up to kind of military um, uh, leaders and uh, kind of generals and stuff and politicians, mashallah. So it's a very nice, varied kind of uh, uh, set of uh, individuals that you have there. Um, I wanted to ask yourself, yourself, what got you into this? Um, kind of field in the first place, you know. What 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 brought about your interest uh, in this uh, in in looking at history in general and looking at you know notable figures in history and 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 kind of uh, giants um, uh, of Islam. Bismillah. So um, thank you for checking the channel. Uh, first and foremost, it's been up for about seven years now, and it only took me seven well, years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took, it took a long time for many people simply because the genre of, uh, you could say, the documentary we do is not very common online. Mm. And um, what really sparked the entire project off was the fact that I myself used to read a lot about um, history, a lot about history. Everything from the Cold War through to the actual uh, Great Recession, Great Depression in America. Mm. And the one recurring theme was the fact that the Muslims in the world were part of the picture. Right? So you had, for example, King Faisal of uh, Saudi Arabia, who was a very key, uh, even pivotal uh, character when it came to the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you know, when he stopped the oil flow, for example, for a couple of days. And so I began to pick up on these characters that were from the Muslim world, but I never heard of before. And I had, I had a fascination as to who are these people? What's their story? I mean, how come I didn't hear about them until now? Mm-hmm. Um, what I found myself doing then was reading books, buying a lot of books, going through it quickly, uh, and then trying to convey that to friends and family. <laughs> and you could imagine um, what kind of conversations those were. People had very little, uh, you could say, um, interest in it. And it was very difficult to convey all the knowledge I was gathering very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I decided the best way to do it was perhaps to create uh, maybe just a film, a short film, and then to send it because people like videos. And mm-hmm. YouTube was just about you know growing at that time. Yeah. And so I began with just... Um, King Faisal's life story, and it was really well well received. And in fact, when it first came out, some of the uh, other YouTube uh, YouTube uh, you could say creators that I knew mm. reached out directly and said to me, "Wow, I never knew that the Saudi uh, you could say the family of the outside had such people in, amongst them, mm. and that really opened a massive window. What else is hidden from us from contemporary history? And what made it very um, you could say hard hitting was that you could see." King Faisal speaking, you could hear him. Mm. It wasn't just something that was related from a thousand years ago. It's literally, we have the archives here. You can hear him speaking and the emotion in his voice. And when he spoke about Palestine, that he wanted to liberate the land, it was very, it's like a revelation. Mm. You know, but you could hear. So that led to another episode. And then from there on, just several characters being, uh, were being uh, recommended to us by viewers. And then we just made a series out of it, Great Muslim Lives. Um, and, you know, to date, we're still making videos. And um, with each video we produce, it's usually always the first of its kind on YouTube. Mm. It's really sad to say that, you know, it's really sad. But um, we make videos, for example, Osman Danfodi, rahmahullah, recently, um, Imam Shimiyan al-Dagestani, um, Nana Asma'u, the daughter of Osman uh, Danfodi. Uh, we did one about um, Abdel Karim al-Khattabi, for example. And the last one we did was actually one from... Uh, uh, from Algeria, Ibn Badis, 
mm. Abdel Hamid Badis. And many people don't even know about these people, unless you're from Morocco, from Algeria, or yeah. from Nigeria. You don't know about who these great luminaries were, and it's really a loss to us as, a, as an ummah. Because for most of our historic uh, experience, when we talk about history, we know about the greats from Europe. Mm. We all know about Napoleon, we know about Alexander the Great, we know about King Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth. Mm. But we know very little about those who were just alive 300 years ago, 200 years ago. Uh, and that's how the whole project began, really. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, um, I think uh, one of the brothers from Al Maghrib. I think it's uh, either um, Buna Muhammad or Sheikh uh, Amar Shukri. He mentioned something on the podcast a few months ago. He said, "We're an umrah of sto- umrah of stories, but very few storytellers." So there's a lot of a lot of great stories out there that we uh, you know we have uh, within the ummah, but uh, we need more and more people to you know, uh, resurface them and, and tell those stories. So, Zakhlaq, I mean, so, um, Dr. Sef, you've, you've said in the past that it was history, actually, that, in fact, brought you to Islam. I just wanted, Bismillah, subhanAllah, yeah. it's exactly what I just wanted yeah. to start with, actually. You're absolutely right. Um, the main factor for me, um, as most of the viewers know now already, I think, I keep saying that also in lectures, it was history that opened my eyes to Islam, and this is not a small thing. And many people appreciate that. And it's very, very important to see that basically such a topic, which many people find very boring, if you go to school and we all have been to school and we mm. all found the subject itself, history is the way it's, it's been delivered is very boring. And most of these old history teachers, you know, um, don't really make it very interesting and very, very, very vivid. So let's be honest now, mm. but that's how it is. And that doesn't really uh, push people towards it. And it is, it's amazing, I find it fascinating nowadays to find some 18, 19, 20 years old who uh, have decided to study history at university. Honestly, I must say, by that time, when I was 18, 19, that was not the main thing in my mind. But when, again, through history, when I realized that I was told lies, and that's what I mean with history, mm. um, I realized that the history that I was told was actually uh, lies and deception. And when his, I found his out... Story. His story. His story, yes, absolutely. So... <laughs> Um, and when I found out about that, I uh, that's when my eyes opened and I looked deeper into history mm. itself, but also deeper into Islam, of course, and it brought me closer. And one thing that I wanted to mention also, uh, because of what our brother Abu Zakaria said, because we're working together now, and we've produced quite some nice videos together, mashallah. And I find mm-hmm. it important to, to, to also focus on characters and people. Now, I've been doing a lot of uh, general videos with regards to uh, the spread of Islam in the world, spread of Islam in Europe, how uh, the history of Islam and the Muslims themselves was. But um, if we look at specific people, it tells us something about the period as well. So if you look at Abdurrahman Dakhil, which we did actually with, with, with Ilm Film as well, um, the opener basically of Al-Andalus. If you look at Tariq bin Ziyad himself, the first general, Muslim general arriving in, in, in Al-Andalus in Europe. Um, if we look at these people, they give us really quite some uh, food for thought. And uh, they're not only necessarily uh, from the military perspective, but rather from a perspective that um, it should make us think nowadays, what do we do nowadays in order for people later to think back and say like, hey, I remember Dr. Steph Kays from that time. What do we really do nowadays? And uh, what I found fascinating, and uh, mm-hmm. Abu Zakaria mentioned that before, is um, a, a more recent person who we can really hear his voice. For example, I was thinking of Malcolm X. Yeah. Malcolm X for me is a hero. I mean, Malcolm X is not only a giant of Islam, but I would say more than that. 
um, uh, we can really learn a lot from him, from his life, from his um, uh, rever conversion, reversion, you want to, uh, mm. whatever you want to call it. But because I see myself in many things that I, I watch the movie and I'm fascinated by the movie. I've seen it several times. Um, I uh, read his autobiography. Actually, it's biography by by yeah. Haley. I I I I read a lot about him, and I find him a fascinating character. And I think we should really strive to be like him in many ways. And we mm. can, we can. We should not forget that as the African Americans, who are by the way the majority of Muslims living in North America nowadays. Very interestingly, to see in contrast to Europe nowadays, mm. where we have mainly immigrants. Um, uh, creating the face of Islam in Europe. In North America, we have African-Americans, indigenous people from North America mm. who have accepted Islam, who have embraced Islam and have been embracing for the last couple of years and can give us a lot back. And I think this energy that we that beams through when you read about uh, Malcolm X, that's what mm. we miss nowadays. And we don't have this. Is what you've heard so far interesting? Give this video a like and a comment to get more and more people to see it. Also, don't forget our target. Let's get 250 people to give five pounds a month to help keep Unscripted going. Yeah, apparently I, I, I read that uh, a few chapters of his uh, biography that were unpublished um, sold at auction recently. Ah, yeah. Like tens yes, of thousands yes. of dollars or something. It'd be interesting yes, to yes. see. Because uh, I heard that, I read that, um, I think some of the, the, the more Islamic or things that contain more uh, Islamic kind of uh, reflections and uh, aspects of his life were actually removed uh, during the publishing. Uh, so that would be interesting if it's made um, you know, open to the public. That's true. Yes, correct. I have heard yeah. about them, but I don't know exactly what they are about. But indeed, they have to do with his Islamic mm. uh, renaissance of his life, actually, with himself looking back to Islam and uh, being yeah. very skeptical about uh, certain, certain things which they did not indeed want to publish that time in his biography mm. because they wanted to reach actually out to everybody. So yeah. that was a little bit too Islamic, probably. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing that you reminded me of uh, Abu Zakaria was when you're talking about these people from different, you know, uh, parts of the world. It also serves not only to um, kind of it teach Muslims their history and give them, you know, um, kind of examples and role models to look up to, but it also gives us an idea and a, and, and connects us to the broader narrative of the, of the Ummah. Uh, you know, looking at people from um, Bosnia to Egypt to uh, Africa to Asia to you know all of these different kind of um, Muslim personalities it really broadens your um, your your understanding your connection with the Ummah I think you know I mean I, I remember these um, we you know in, when uh, there's like family retreats with um, MRDF like family family uh, family retreat family kind of get-togethers pre-COVID obviously uh, I when lots of Muslim families get together I, I remember one brother saying that his son he came to him, you know, so excited because it's the first time he saw a non-Pakistani Muslim. <laughs> He's like, wow, there's so many different types of Muslims. And that, that impact that it has on that young mind, that young heart, um, you know, it, it, it's something that we can't, um, we can't uh, quantify, really. So do you go out of your way to kind of um, look for kind of places within... Uh, in, in, uh, uh, or people from and stories from uh, places uh, from a, a varied uh, kind of uh, uh, geography. That's a very good observation, actually, um, and absolutely yes. So, what we try to do is uh, we try to balance it out. So, not just in terms of the ethnicity and the nationality and the nationality of um, the individual, but also the gender. 
we have a we have a selection of uh, female luminaries. We have actually a playlist great yeah. in women. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. try to compile that as well for women. Then we have one for Africans, and we have one for Asians, one for Arabs. And the reason being, Islam is greater than just one nationality. Mm. Yeah. For example, Dr. Steph uh, released uh, an episode just this week, actually, called Amazonian Muslims. Amazonian Muslims, which performed quite well because nobody really thought about that. Are there Muslims in the Amazon? There are Muslims in the Amazon. There's a, and there's they a lot working for the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised to see it had more than a thousand views within four hours. Yeah. Very quickly, very quickly. And the thing is, it's it's just the wording, uh, Muslims of the Amazon, and also the fact that Muslims in South America, yeah. people don't realize that there's a long history of Muslims in the South, very, very Southern American region, yeah. who not only helped actually, not only preceded uh, Christopher Columbus to the region, but also played a huge part in the slave rebellion movements. Right. All of these things have a huge impact because, for example, in the world we live in today, if you look at the American crisis today of identity, many mm-hmm. descendants of these African Muslim migrants are now being told that you're less than, right? you're less than, you're, you came later than the originals, and they're being mistreated. Now, for a large portion of them who look at Malcolm X as like uh, an example, they may feel isolated from Islam because it's like Islam is an Arab thing. It's not for us. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. something that we can identify with. But if you look through history, you find that actually there were black Muslims from the Mali Empire. They didn't come as slaves. They came as kings. They came as rulers. And they settled there in, in peace. This is what history unearthed. So we try to provide a very vast selection of Muslim personalities. Mm. Uh, so so there's have... Muslims from Mali when ended up in South America? You... I think the that's father, the, of the very father of Mansa Musa, his son. Wow. Sorry, I didn't, I, sorry, I was like, uh, the father of Mansa Musa, subhanAllah. Mansa Musa mentioned it yesterday in the in uh, le- mm. later in his Hajj, when he arrives in Egypt, when he goes towards his Hajj, and he basically creates the whole inflation as we know nowadays. He was yeah, so he had rich. so much gold that he was, he was changing absolutely. the mark, the ec- economy of Egypt or something. Absolutely, Just absolutely. Imagine that, but. His stories about his father and his people before having been in the Americas coming back again with so much richdom, which they didn't need because they had enough already. But imagine they come back with something different, having discovered, really discovered, and I hate using this word for the Americas because we must know the colonialists, but okay, (laughs) they have really come across people. Many yeah. of them even settled in the Americas because when uh, Columbus later in his diaries, he wrote himself as well as his son later, they write basically in their diaries that when they arrived in Cuba, when they arrived in Panama, when they arrived actually in certain places in South America and Latin America, they saw black people. Mm. They also saw um, uh, uh, they also saw mosques. They also realized places that reminded one of the mosques they knew from uh, Spain, of course, from Al-Andalus. So amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Sorry, I did not want to interrupt Abu Zakaria, but I find this a fascinating uh, part of history. And I'm happy that he mentioned that indeed, because that's why I think it was performing so well, that video, because people are simply not aware of the fact that there were Muslims in the Americas before Columbus even, before the Europeans, Mm. and before the first African slaves. (laughs) Because 
people nowadays talk about the African slaves, yes, a quarter of them were Muslims, half of them were Muslims, whatever the number might be. But actually, Muslims had been in the Americas, had participated in the culture of the Americas, had even converted people, <laughs> indigenous people, uh, mm. to Islam. They even signed treaties later with the Spaniards and the Portuguese, starting with Bismillah Rahman Rahim, which you can find nowadays in museums in America. So it's fascinating. Mm. This history is fascinating. And this is very important to point out because America, for example, one of the theories for the name America is that it's derived from the Arabic, it's from an Arabic term. And of course, one of the first, or the first, you can say, sovereign ruler of the world to actually recognize America as an independent state was the Moroccan Sultan. So when we say Islam and America are incompatible or that we hate mm -hmm. America, go back to history and have a look at what Islam and America have in common. And you find there's lots of history there, positive or important actually, for what Muslims have done in America and what they contribute towards American society. But getting back to the issue of the diversity and who we're, mm. we're covering, so you find statesmen, you have politicians, you have kings, you have people who are more on the, um, you could say, um, charity, charitable side of things. You have scholars. So you have a very, uh, really a varied range of different personalities, different uh, people, different experiences. You also have people who are considered disabled. So for example, blind ulama. So in each one of these individuals, you find an example for who perhaps you are more inclined towards. So because the thing is with Islam, it's very easy to kind of narrow it down to just one type of Muslim. Yeah. All be Mujahideen, we should all be uh, Zuhad, we should all be scholars. But there's a varied range of roles that we need in this Ummah today. And when we had this, uh, when we had the lineup of who we should cover, we, we thought, how can we inspire as many people as possible? without narrowing it down too much and making it just like a mon monotonous uh, storyline mm. with everyone being the same, coming from the same place, speaking the same language and doing the same things. And so, alhamdulillah, we've been able to do a lot in terms of diversifying that and we have a lot more to come as the viewers usually kind of tend to recommend their own uh, <laughs> their own heroes. I mean, speaking of Malcolm X, you mentioned um, that was part of his uh, kind of uh, awakening, wasn't it? And when he chose to embrace... Orthodox Islam. That was that was after he saw Muslims from so many backgrounds, and it, it broadened his kind of um, understandings and his horizons. And Sheikh uh, Sheikh he always says, "I haven't done this yet." Stuff like he always says, "Wherever you work, put a put a picture of the the world, like the, a world map next to it. Just just so whenever you're working, you you're broadening your thinking. You're you're not kind of you're resisting the urge to kind of go into a uh, a tunnel vision, but you, you're you're constantly reminding yourself that the world is large. You know, mm. and I'm wondering, are, are, is there anywhere that there aren't Muslims? <laughs> right no, not always. No, absolutely. Yeah. In the Antarctica, there are Muslims. In no Alaska, way. Muslims, you know, there <laughs> are Muslims everywhere. Yeah, mashallah. It's too cold there, man. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> there are Muslim scientists, mashallah. There are Muslim mashallah. scientists. Mashallah. Yeah. So no, there are Muslims everywhere, mashallah. There is mm. really. The, the southernmost mosque is somewhere in the south of New Zealand and the northernmost mosque somewhere in Alaska. So there are mm. everywhere places of worship for the Muslims and there are everywhere Muslims worship. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Alaska sounds like it's got an Arabic root as well. It does? Does it? Abu Zakaria, tell me please. I don't know. That's a good observation. Potentially. Someone maybe misspelled Alexa. You never know. I keep saying in the lecture, I'll never forget any word starting with Al 
comes from the Arabic term. You know what I was asked once? Albania too? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Alaska. There you go. Yeah. Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Finally, it reminds you of the ayah, uh, you know, when Allah said to the Prophet when he's, you know, in a position of, you know, having few followers and, um, you know, so many enemies and stuff, that Allah has already uh, raised and, and, and made, um, kind of manifest his, his mention. And I look, subhanAllah, every single country there is, you have people following his sunnah, people saying, Ashadun la ilaha, Ashadun la Muhammad Rasulullah. It's mind blowing if you imagine, you know, they, they, like they, you know, no, no, no moment passes where the adhan isn't happening somewhere or someone isn't praying and saying, you know, sending salah upon the Prophet, وسلم, saying, Allahumma salli Muhammad, and so forth, subhanAllah. So, the, you know, the problem with the problem with the, um, the the kind of heroes narrative, right? And the the giants or the um, the yeah the heroes kind of a uh, um, story is um, it kind of presents sometimes a perfect or a perfectionist view of human beings, and sometimes it becomes demotivating for some people. A lot of people talk about this. Um, I think you know politically, for example, Noam Chomsky talks about it a lot. We used to talk about it a lot about the way you know be careful. How, obviously, his own politics, you know, that the way heroes are shown to the common people and stuff. You know that uh, you want to be a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King or whatever, but it wasn't actually those people who did the hard work. It was they. They were kind of what's the word? Kind of ceremonial or um, just kind of. Um, Representation of the, the yeah, movement itself. The word. It, 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 it escapes me right now, but um, they were they, they, j focusing on them. Kind of pacifies, almost has the opposite effect. Sometimes when you focus on a heroic figure, it kind of um, stops people thinking, stops people, and, and demotivates them. Sometimes, you know, from saying, "Oh, look how they were so. Look at the the the." Um, the conditions that led to their greatness, uh, you know, that's something that doesn't apply to that, me or that's too that, high a bar to, you know. That, that's why I think it's very important what you're saying there now. Mm. Um, indeed, uh, because I keep warning every time in lectures as well and in presentations, I keep warning people that, hey, when we talk about the Umayyads, the Abbasids, the Ottomans, the Seljuks, whoever we talk about, might it be mm. dynasties, might it be even people, we should never forget these were people, these were human beings who had human desires, who might have gone after power and might and so on and so on. We should never mm -hmm. forget these things. I keep saying that. And it, it it breaks some people's hearts, actually. What you said just now is, you know, last time I was actually, really there was a, there was a sister. Mm -hmm. She came on a workshop, a, week, a weekend workshop. So we started set, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And she came on Saturday and she was totally demotivated What you meant, for the opposite reason, actually. She was demotivated because I actually told them the truth about the Ottomans or certain mm. parts that, that were not what they believed it was. So it was, it, it was for her, it was a, a break in her heart, really. She told me clearly, she said, I didn't expect, I didn't know that they would kill old brothers. That was a normal thing, by the way, the fratricide, so that, that they would kill their own brothers. This is something that happened in the Muslim world. It was mm -hmm. also, it's also normal that you will find out in the Muslim, in our Muslim history, that a father would kill their own son, that oh. son would kill their father. These things have happened in the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. This Muslim history, we cannot, we are not dealing with angels, we deal with people, human beings. 
So um, it is extremely important for you to be, uh, for somebody who presents that history, mm. to uh, really try to make it as uh, neutral as possible, as, as possible, of course. And soften the blow. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. just, just, just be clear, it's history of people. Yeah people and people make mistakes so they say you should never meet your heroes you know <laughs> yeah well you know what yes yes indeed indeed absolutely i um yeah. knew so many people when i was younger or actually i was looking up for, to people who when i was younger uh people of of knowledge uh, scholars mm. some people who had some more knowledge than, than me that time especially when i was younger and when i went out to, to meet some of them i was very disappointed very yeah. disappointed because um you see a normal human being there in front of you uh, who actually might skip a salah, who, yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying? So all these things happened and that disappointed me or brought me, it disappointed me at the beginning, but in the end it brought me back to reality. And I think that's what helped mm. me to become more neutral nowadays, to be more um, objective actually, to look at the at the facts in a, in, in, in a way that the facts are, facts yeah. and that's it. So that, that, I think- Zakaria, how do you, how do you um, go about navigating that fine line? Yeah, so, I mean, completely agree with Dr. Steph in that sometimes you meet or you look at history from a very rose-tinted perspective. Mm. And I think our Muslim audiences are especially conditioned for that. And we've had conversations behind the scenes actually about Islamic history versus Muslim history because some people are so emotionally invested in it that they'd rather reject the entire historical uh, catalog than to accept one have uh, you could say underlying faults in the story which actually is true so fratricide for example and other such realities of history are denied altogether because this can't be islamic fratricide and, and is killing the brothers the for the yes. throne basically exactly so mm. power plays but this is part of history and i think uh from our perspective as people who present history to the to the audience we make it as neutral as possible mm. as non-biased as possible but I still feel where we are right now in terms of how people are getting to consume history, there's still a lot more left to go. I mean, there are conversations we can't have in public, unfortunately, when it comes to historic figures, certain historic figures. We can't have them. And we were jokingly mentioning like this, who? I think, a week ago. <laughs> we mentioned it a week ago about certain, certain personalities that you just couldn't. Mm. I don't think the audience is yet ready to have those conversations. But it's important to make it very clear that these are human beings. You know, They had highs and they had lows. And in fact, from the fact that we know they're human beings and that they had these, um, you could say, weaknesses, we can learn from that. One of the reasons why we focus more on contemporary history rather than classical history is because of that specifically. Um, for example, if we were to talk about the early wars in Islam, many people, or especially religious Muslims, um, we're afraid of criticizing or pointing out certain elements of what happened historical terms it becomes a matter of aqidah and a matter of faith and at that moment you don't you have no longer you no longer have objectivity you no longer have academia you, now you have uh, pious sentiments and i'm a practicing muslim we all are but when it comes to history you have to be objective yeah so mm. what makes it very easy when you look at contemporary figures is that you can hear them speaking for themselves you can see the videos for yourself you can you can access you can access the catalogs for yourself and the weaknesses are not attached to islam so, for example, yeah. to say Malcolm X, let's say Malcolm X, Rahmanullah, we know he had a history in the streets. We know he had a history in crime. Yeah. Um, recounting that is not considered like sacrilegious. Mm. Hearing that is not going to be like astaghfirullah. How could you mention that? Mm. But if you were to talk about the history of uh, Sayyidina Umar, anhu, before mm. Islam, some Muslims would consider that bad. 
and would want to silence you for that. So there is an element of how much can you reveal to the audience. Yeah. Uh, and when you have that kind of uh, self-imposed, uh, you could say, a self-imposed censorship, it's difficult then to present an, a human and balanced perspective yeah. because yeah. people always want to have the perfection, always perfection. Sorry to butt in again, but just a reminder to subscribe if you haven't already and donate to help keep the lights on in Islam 2019. You also have um, the, the kind of Islamic ethics behind it as well, I suppose. I mean, with someone in the, in the, someone who's written their own biography or who's who's put something out there in the public domain of themselves, that's understandable, kind of reporting that. But if somebody who maybe you know talking about someone in the past and mentioning their faults, um, mm -hmm. important as it is to the story, from an ethics point of view, what do you do there? Do you hide your brother's faults, for example, maybe? What, yeah, it's his this, reputation, it's his rights, it's point. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. However, let's remember that perhaps the most scientific and the most committed historians when it comes to Islamic history are not Muslims. Mm. So if Muslims are not willing to look at, for example, the, the early wars, the civil wars in Islam, and mm. to be critical about the facts that what actually happened, there are many Orientalists, there are many people who hate Islam, who will not shy away. They don't have the same principles. Right. So, if, yeah, if we allow our Muslim youth to grow up in this sheltered and this really kind of uh, superficial coating of reality, then what will happen is when they go to university later on, when they go into society, they're going to encounter these arguments and they have not been prepared whatsoever for what they come across. For example, a good example of, of that is um, the uh, the fact that Sayyidina Uthman, عنه, he burned certain masahib. Yeah, yeah. He burned so if you had studied that beforehand from a Muslim source with the reality of actually yeah, this yeah. was not in various versions, it was just different qiraat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if someone comes with malicious intent to confuse you or to derail you, you can already say, actually, I know about that story. I learned it from an Islamic source. And this yeah, is yeah, what I happened. Mean, that, is, that is all um, kind of understandable. And that's, in fact, in our own kind of uh, um, discourse as well. I'm talking about, for example, um, sins that people commit, you know, um, because you know, if if I commit a sin and I'm trying to hide it, then and somebody uh, kind of writes about it in current day and age, that's kind of a a, a uh, against my right. You know, one of the the, well, the, 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 the rights of the Muslim. But the then this is hundreds of years later. Then yeah. the counter argument is this: uh, the Salman is that perfectly correct? Because at the end of the day, we're still Muslims yeah. and we have principles that override everything. But again, the argument remains, if the Muslims are not prepared to talk about the realities, guess who's going to talk about it? The non-Muslims. Mm -hmm. And they have the field there actually about that. So it's like an immunization of the, of the mind. You have to have someone in the community who's prepared to have conversations based on facts. Mm -hmm. It's not an attack on personality. We're not looking for errors and sins. So for example, uh, there are many details we don't put in the Great Muslim Life series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Simply because we fear to, um, how do you say, incite people against the personality. Yeah. Uh, although we're mentioning the good that they've done, they made errors as well. You know, some of them, for example, were known to listen to music publicly. Had we mentioned that in the videos, many Muslims would turn around and say, oh, how could this person, we thought he was mm. great, he loved music. Yeah? So we don't go out of our way to put it out there, it's irrelevant. But the point is, certain mm. things, for example, about the Armenian genocide, when you're talking about the uh, the Ottomans, some people will say to you, why mention that? Oh, why yeah, okay, no. I jump in, can I jump in? SubhanAllah. I mean, I, I could, I was like, subhanAllah. We have actually spent, uh, I remember when we were doing some recordings, 
Um, we, we spent uh, a long time speaking exactly about the subject, and I think it's a very important subject, but not to misunderstand each other, because mm. I think I kind of understand what you both try to say. Mm. It's not about, you know, um, what you mentioned, Salman, before, you're absolutely right. It's not about coming out with this person, this person committed this sin mm. and did this and that. That's not about that. It's just simply to make clear that when you put somebody up there, yeah. Uh, don't forget that it's still up somewhere there. It's a bit too high, maybe, because it's still a human being. It's not an angel. Mm. So they did lie, maybe they did commit sins. They did maybe, but we're not we, we're not going to focus on on the sins of a specific ruler because he was a ruler, but because it was important for what he did, um, and not sins. I mean, yeah, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. the acts that you mm. know certain things that he did. So <clears throat> you're not going to hide something. And and Abu Zakari is absolutely right because we spoke about this topic as well. The Armenian genocide, for example. Now, what do you say there? Do you take the Armenian genocide as something that the Ottoman Sultan? did something was committed by the muslim state the ottoman caliphate was it like this or do you come out with the truth which actually was that it was not under ottoman it was it happened during the time of the ottomans but it did not happen by the ottomans and not with accepting acceptance from the ottoman Cal caliphate himself it was something that the young turks the new nationalist movement of turkey did actually which nowadays is ruling basically so mm. we have to go deep into these things and this will affect certain people's mindsets and this yeah. will affect certain people's thinking and well we cannot i mean we're not there as a historian you will say certain things that people might not like and i remember just some days back i had an interview again with somebody from turkey and when i mentioned certain things in turkey that i don't agree with we cannot agree as muslims they got upset because I put <laughs> Turkey in a bad light or the certain mm. aspect and element I put in a bad light. I'm not here to justify Turkish policy and Turks and Turkish um, leaders and politicians. But we are here as historians to talk about as much as much as we can about facts. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, Abu Zakari, you mentioned this distinction between Islamic history and Muslim history. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, so... I mean, our channel or our, our project was described, we described it as Islamic history. That's how we branded the whole project. And then um, last year we posted a video that did tremendously well, actually, tremendously well. And um, we had many Muslim commentators saying, this is not Islamic history, it's Muslim history. The emphasis there was that anything wrong with the history of Islam should not be attributed to Islam. Mm. It should be attributed to Muslims, which is correct. Is correct, of course. Islam is irreproachable. We believe that as Muslims. But you're playing with words. It's semantics. Yeah? At least you're messing around with words. It doesn't matter whether it's Islamic or Muslim history. It all comes under the same umbrella in the sense that we as Muslims, sometimes we do good, sometimes we do bad. But in order for us to learn from the bad, we have to be willing to accept that they happened. And we should be able to explain it in a way that is not mm. deceitful. Because when we deceive people, what happens is later on, others come with evidence. I'll give you a good example of this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the history of slavery in Islam. Mm -hmm. Nine out of ten videos you watch on YouTube about slavery in Islam is very, very, uh, very soft. There's a lot of sugarcoating happening. And mm -hmm. there's very little coming through as hard fact. This is what happened. These are the facts. And this is how the world was at the time. Contextualize it properly. How was the world at the time? Mm -hmm. Athens, 80% of the population were slaves. Right, slaves were everywhere in the world. China, everywhere there was slavery, even in Africa. So mm -hmm. let's contextualize it first, and then come to where Islam came in, and what did Islam do to reduce the burden of slavery? What mm -hmm. did Islam do in that context? Rather than saying it never existed, 
Islam condemns slavery straight away from the, from day one, which is a really it's not true; it's an inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. But what happened is when Muslims continue this line of reasoning, non-Muslims and really uh, impressionable Muslims who hear that and then see the falsification later on would say, "Well, we can't trust Muslim sources." Yeah, because yeah. they're lying to us. Or they always give us a soft version. So now, when something actually valid comes to them, they'll look at it sideways. Well, can I really trust that? Mm-hmm. It's coming from. And we had this discussion with Dr. Steph when we were filming actually on set. That one of the things that really is unique about Dr. Steph is that he's a European Muslim. Had it been a traditionally, uh, let's say, an Arab Muslim, an Asian Muslim, an African Muslim, many of the things he's saying about the Ottomans would have been looked at with suspicion because, well, you're just saying that because you're from the Muslim world, obviously. Yeah. But as a fake Muslim, it's very difficult to say that because what does he have to hide from that perspective? And so it's important that if we tell the truth as it is, mm. that people see us as... Uh, and it's quite funny, actually, because when you want to study Chinese history, you should go to Chinese people as an yeah. authority. When you want to study Western history, go to Western academia. When it comes to Islamic history, especially in, in the English, French, and German languages, you have to go to the non-Muslims. <laughs> you can't go to the Muslims. Why? Because we are known to be falsifiers, unfortunately. Really? We well. Yeah, we falsify history. We falsify history. And so when people see that once or twice, and one of the struggles we've had as an Islamic history channel on YouTube, we've grown very slowly. Mm. But alhamdulillah, we're now getting to a point where many people are hearing about us is that other people watch and think, this is great, but because you're Muslims behind the channel, we can't trust it. And we've had this conversation many times. Mm. The people think because Muslims are behind the channel, it's not credible enough. We have to go to non-Muslim sources. And mm. this is because in the first place, we were never ready to have candid conversations, open conversations, and just to speak as historians openly. Yeah. I think I it's, think it's in part of the... There is a space for... Yeah. Uh, of course, having adab when mm. speaking about topics. We're not going to go out there and say this person did this and that. We don't delve in that because it has no historic value. What an individual does in their own personal time and their own personal characteristic flaws mm. has no value to others. It's what they achieved despite that that we focus on more than anything. However, when a personal trait impacts historical outcomes, we have to mention it. Mm-hmm. We have to mention it. You know, We can't just hide behind the curtain of modesty and then let others come behind us and completely rip it apart. And then what happens at that moment is the Muslim youth, because we target the Muslim youth, the Muslim youth would see that and say, wait a second, you told us A, but when I went to university and studied philosophy or studied history or studied economics and politics, I found that to be when it came to yeah. Muslims. Yeah. So it actually, it actually um, it's, part, it's part of the, the benefit and the strength that you get from an actual role model that when you see their flaws, that you see that they're actually real human beings and despite their flaws, they've managed to achieve something great um, and in fact kind of sugarcoating their story and, and inflating their piety and righteousness and so forth is actually disrespectful <laughs> if you if you think about it. So like if I, if I introduce Dr. Steph to someone, some other person and, and say he's uh, this and that and he wrote 100 books and he got three PhDs and this, this and that, it's not really praise anymore because I'm, I'm suggesting that the real person is is somehow deficient and I need to make up this stuff to to praise him. You know, This is what some people fall into 
um, you know, the mistake some people fall into out of love for someone, they'll they'll amplify and they'll inflate their position. You know, it happens a lot with um, you know the the Prophet and the Sahaba and people. You know, there's a lot of fake um, uh, fabricated narrations and so forth about uh, about them. But it's important it's important to recognize their humanity that actually you know makes them a more effective role model for people here. Um, this is one of the reasons why one of the many many wisdoms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet so many stories in the Quran of prophets who went through hardship. Um, Yunus alayhi salam for example, he left his people and you know Allah put him through that test. Adam alayhi salam, you know he ate from the tree and so forth and, and we're learning how to respond when we make a mistake or when we do something wrong it's how we respond is what is actually you know um empowering um, rather than just showing a story of someone who is you know perfect from um a to z and that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said subhanallah that all of these stories that we narrate to your muhammad وسلم, uh, about the previous prophets and messengers that's what we use to strengthen your heart subhanallah um so so you know telling the stories what's and all you know all of the um all of the human kind of nature of these people i think is is a good way to counteract that hero uh pit tra- pit uh, fall uh the, the trap of the hero that kind of inhibits people rather than empowering them um Having said that, though, when we do say giants of Islam now, uh, Doctor Seth, you mentioned one, uh, Malcolm Malcolm X. Um, let's say Abu Zakari, uh, you know, a few few names that come to your mind when you say uh, when, when someone says giants of Islam. I did ask, you know, um, on our social media, we got loads of answers. You know, obviously the Sahaba, the four Imams, Salahuddin, Malcolm X was came a few times as well. Um, apart from the the kind of normal ones that you hear, who would you who would you say are are, are the giants of Islam? Well, yeah. oh. <laughs> sorry, you're going. <laughs> apart from Dr. Steph. <laughs> First of all, I I definitely I mean I you have to look into um, the beginning of Islam and 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 if you look at the beginning of Islam, mashallah, you will find quite some, quite a lot, simply because that time it was. They were purer, let's put it that way, purer, mm-hmm. and in many ways uh, closer to Islam than many people later, of course. But, but um, nevertheless, there are still people, for example, I mentioned before Mansa Musa in the 14th century, Africa. I mean, we mentioned Africa a bit, and uh, many of us are not aware mm. uh, of the history of Africa. It's amazing, unbelievable, because it seems like the dark continent, dark people, hunger, starvation. That's all we know about Africa. We think we know about Africa. It's not at all like this. It's not at all like this. And definitely was not at all like this. And it's actually more an Islamic continent than any other continent at all. Mm. Um, so Mansa Musa definitely is one of the heroes that I would like. I would say a giant of Islam without a doubt. Mansa Musa and his people. In general, if you look at the uh, Mali Empire, if you look at the Songa Empire after that, you look at the empires in West Africa, amazing in itself. Um, also, uh, I mentioned Malcolm X. Of course, I mentioned Malcolm X simply because as I mentioned before, the struggle of the African-Americans and the importance that we see that the Islam that they carry in Africa, in, in, in North America, 
um, uh, it's actually nowadays it carried on their backs. Islam is carried on the African Americans' backs, yeah. and I think that they are the <clears> ones responsible for the spread of Islam in North America nowadays, for the um, um, a better picture of Islam. Because indeed, it is like this when you speak to people in, in America. It's not like in Europe. If you speak to people in America, actually, there's a lot of respect for the Muslims. Do not think because of the media and because of what we see around us and everything. It is not at all like in Europe, mashallah. So there is, and I think it has a lot to do with the respect they show towards African-Americans, who many of them have carried themselves quite in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And when, when they become Muslim, actually, they become even more positive and they really become role models, mashallah. And mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it. I'm not saying that that's not something I say. But I've heard it when I was in the States last time. And I remember in the States how many people, uh, white people, Af- black people who were not Muslims were talking about them, Islam and the Muslims mm. with a lot of respect, with a lot of respect. Um, so I really think that Malcolm X is definitely a person I would like to, to stick to as a giant of Islam. Mansa Musa, another one in the past. There are, of course, many, many, many more. Mm. However, these two I would definitely like to study because from them we can learn a lot, which does not mean that they are flawless does not mean that they didn't commit, uh, they didn't make same sins, they didn't commit mistakes. Obviously, all this is there. They were mm. human beings, not angels. Um, yeah, so I, this is this is basically from my side. These are the giants from my side. Zakhlakhar. Abu Zakaria. I mean, there are so many. This is the thing. So many, alhamdulillah, been blessed in recent uh, times with so many great heroes of Islam. But for me, the absolute favorite has to be uh, Sultan Abdul Aziz, Abdul Hamid. The second, mm-hmm. uh, simply because his story is unrivaled. I don't think you can find anyone else in the Muslim world who has had his his legacy in the last 300, 400 years. Simply given the fact that he was one of the last true sultans of the Ummah, and um, despite having the military might to crush his opponents, he decided against it for the greater good of the people. He was also a man of great intellect and insights. Um, you know. When we study his story, uh, we can see where the Muslim world is going wrong till today. Uh, we have good leadership potential, but we don't have good followers. And this is one of the great flaws. We always look to leaders for solutions, but we never ask ourselves, how are we as followers? Uh, Imam Ali radiallahu anhu was once uh, critiqued in a very uh, diplomatic way. One of his aides said to him, uh, oh, Imam Ali, uh, we noticed something. When um, Abu Bakr, and Umar, our leaders, everything was fine. We were really conquering lands. Everything was great. But as soon as Uthman and yourself became Khulafa, everything went downhill. Civil wars, fitna, everything. So Sayyidina Ali didn't take offense. He just said to the men, the answer is simple. And Abu Bakr and Umar were Khulafa. They had Uthman and Ali as supporters. <laughs> and they support them well. When Uthman and Ali became Khulafa, they have people like you supporting them. This is why we're failing. Yeah. <laughs> And so when we look at someone like Sultan Abdul Aziz, he was in himself a great leader, but unfortunately his entourage, people around him, failed him. And I think that's a really timely reminder for us. We blame leaders every day, but we never ask ourselves, what are we doing to support the leadership? What are we doing to create leadership for tomorrow? And yeah. so for me, he's certainly a, an iconic figure in contemporary Islamic history and a great giant in my eyes and life. Look, I'm sick of these interruptions too. Like, subscribe comment donate and uh, let's get this over and done with okay mashallah um what what would you say is the biggest or some what would you say are some of the biggest obstacles for muslims kind of uh, learning about or, or becoming more familiar with these giants 
Many things. I mean, in my in my estimation, language is one of them. We don't talk about language enough. Mm-hmm. There was a time not long ago, if you lived in um, in France or England, you would speak at least three European languages. Mm-hmm. If you lived in uh, in India, you speak about three languages: Urdu, Arabic, and Persian. If you're of certain class, mm-hmm. right? So there was a time not long ago when people had access to more than one language, and this gave them access to rich source of information. Today we have access to one language, perhaps, one or two languages. Mm. Much of our knowledge, much of our treasury is hidden in languages we have no access to. Mm. The average Muslim today of, let's say, 18 or 19 living in England, perhaps doesn't speak Arabic. Let's go even, <laughs> let's make it even simpler. Maybe if he's from, from, uh, from an Asian background, he doesn't speak his own language well enough to go into the source and pick yeah. up the information. For me, language is the key to knowledge and we're losing language. Many people, think that culture and custom and tradition is the enemy of Islam but in reality it's icon. and uh, for me the potent of culture is language mm-hmm. so if we encourage the Muslims to go back to their own languages study Persian study Urdu study Arabic study these languages that would help you read first-hand accounts mm-hmm. get the information for yourself rather than relying on second third-hand translations from people who studied Islam with the intention of attacking Islam would go a long way myself Fortunately, I've been able to speak. I speak three languages fluently and a fourth one as well. So I can go to these different sources and have first-hand experience and first-hand access to the knowledge. So I think from my observation to date, one of the key inhibitors for Muslims speaking, uh, accessing useful information on history Mm. is language. Because if you speak only French and you're Nigerian or you're from Senegal or you're from one of these uh, French colonies, and you want to have access to your heroes, guess what, who's writing the story? The stories you can read about your heroes, guess who's writing the story? <laughs> the French writing the story. Mm. And so how will you ever expect to get the information that will validate and strengthen you as a Muslim in that context? You will never get that. Yeah, you need to find what, what language does, uh, do you speak uh, out of interest? What other four? That would be a bit revealing, but let's just say a bit of English. And a bit of uh, other languages. Um, a bit of a bit English. Of, yes, <laughs> just a bit. No, English is my last language. I've, I've learned English English last, uh, so it's not. Okay. It's not um, for the main one. Uh, uh, Doctor Steph, what, what would you say are some of the biggest obstacles to? I mean, one thing that our brother Abu Zakaria mentioned, definitely language is a very important point because if you want to study, of course, people, then you have to study their languages. Languages define people's culture. Culture is connected with language, no doubt about it. And of course, if we want our Islamic sources, we need to know at least Arabic. It's absolutely right what he said. Next to this one, what I would also like to stress is um, the interest or the disinterest of people nowadays Mm -hmm. to go to the library. Or to go to to open a book, um, I mean, it is Subhanallah. Internet and uh, the media and the social media, they have taken over our lives, and we have at this moment. I mean, you rather open Facebook than a good book. So <laughs> it is rather open Facebook than a book. Yes, than a book, right? Um, so uh, unfortunately, I don't see people reading nowadays. I don't see youngsters reading nowadays. 
and um, this is uh, this is, I think, a big disaster, a big disaster. Which does not mean, of course, that if we open a book, we know now what the, what the world, what's going around in the world. Of course not. That's mm. not what I mean. But what I mean is really looking deeper into it, as we used to. In my time, I remember 30 years ago at university. I remember that we would spend nights in the library. And I don't think they do that nowadays. I don't know. Actually, there are libraries still in universities, but I don't really think that you go to libraries nowadays. I think they rather go online, internet, and mm. um, you got Wikipedia, basically, and you believe everything Wikipedia tells you. So <laughs> that's about it. That is how far mm. it goes. So this is what I find is, 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 is a pity nowadays, next to the whole languages. So absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm conscious of the time. So uh, for joining us. Um, Really appreciate it. You can, uh, um, and brothers and sisters at home, for uh, watching. You can uh, check out Dr. Steph and Abu Zakaria um, and some of their work in uh, the Islamic History Institute. Uh, check out the Great Muslim Live series. Check out Ilm Film and also the courses and documentaries and other uh, publications that they'll be uh, running soon. So, uh, to them. Uh, and yeah, if you like this podcast, give it a like and a share. Uh, remember to hit that subscribe button and uh, press the bell notification so you get uh, at the front of the queue for any of this good stuff when it comes out. Uh, let us know in the comments uh, what you agreed with, disagreed with, and share share your uh, inspiring heroes of Islam as well, inspiring giants of Islam, uh, other than us three maybe. Uh, but that's it from uh, us. Until next time, uh, I've been your host, Salman Bhatt. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, uh, script.